Here at Monsieur Day Church, we believe that everyone has a story worth telling. This podcast exists to tell those stories. Today we are joined by Megan Lindley. Hey. I'm starving. Have y'all eaten lunch? Nope. No. Thought you were going to take care of that for us. I thought of it and I failed. <laughs> I did not. I am not a great planner. I did not think of it. I often eat in emergency panic situations because I'm so like, <laughs> oh no, like my blood sugar is so possibly low. I need to eat. Keep a cliff bar handy. I probably should. Yeah. Yeah. It's that seven in us. We just don't pre-plan. It's bad news. It is. What's the best meal you've ever had? Oh man. Probably I spent the night at the Intercontinental in South Africa. Okay. I don't, I don't remember what city. One of the Joburg, I guess. That sounds fancy. It yeah. was, <laughs> but I had wildebeest. What? And um, yeah, I'm a red meat eater. Yeah. Like I love red meat and um, it was really, really awesome. Make a similarity of what it tasted like. Um, I would compare it to venison, maybe a little more flavorful than your typical deer steak. But yeah, it, I mean, I'm sure it has a lot to do with how it was prepared and sure. presented. You know, it was all super pretty. Yeah. I think there was like some... Those long green beans, you know, the ones oh, yeah. that they oh, never yum. give you enough of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was super good. I was, I was incredibly impressed and thought I could eat wildebeest on the regular. We watched the uh, somebody's feed Phil. Have you heard of that? No. There's this guy. His name is Phil Rosenthal. He produced Everybody yeah. Loves Raymond. Yeah. And he's just this like really charming character. He's very gregarious and happy, and he travels around the world he sees like one eatery of the people one fancy restaurant and local cuisine and stuff so he did one in south africa and they're really into the barbecue oh wow and you're echoing that i guess it's incredible yeah man that sounds like a great life though like (laughs) i highly recommend it it's a great show like i i one time went vacation in south africa vacation what did you do did you do like the whole excursions and stuff um, kind of, it's like so weird. My, this is in high school. My ex-boyfriend's best friend's dad owns land in South Africa. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we went and it's like so beautiful. So we went there for a week. We went to Botswana for a week and we rafted down the Nile. Um, yeah, it's weird. And then. <laughs> sounds <laughs> sounds awesome. awesome. I mean, yeah, but it's just not your typical vacation. But yeah. we stayed for free almost because, yeah. I mean, in Botswana we didn't. But in South Africa, we were at these people's property. That's now like a resort. Wow. Yeah, but they are very into barbecuing. And it's delicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. But I never had yeah. wildebeest. Yeah, you'll have to try it. I will. Next time I go. <laughs> go back to South Africa <laughs> just for the wildebeest. What's your best meal ever, Hannah? Oh, man, that's so challenging. I think, well, probably not ever, but one of my favorite meals is, I've said this before, salsa downtown. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they have hot, like a stone bowl. Oh, yeah, I've had that before. And it's a meld of, you know, like hot and cold and sweet and spicy. Mm. mm, It's just so good. It's making me hungry. I know, right? (laughs) I should go get some tacos now. (laughs) 
Mm. What about you, Peter? I was thinking, I think my best meals all depend on context. Yeah. You know, it's like the situation surrounding the meal. I really love eating after really, really, really long bike rides. Mm. And it can be something as simple as a burrito. I would say burritos rank way up there as my favorite meal ever. We had uh, burritos from Urban Burrito at our wedding, and that was so fun. Awesome. And so good. Really simple. Yeah. What's your favorite burrito place? Big City Burrito in Fort Collins, Colorado. They have a burrito that has like roasted uh, peasant potatoes, and then it's cheddar cheese and some onions and some ranch and some pico de gallo, and it's amazing. And you can get chicken mole mm. if you want. On wow. It. It's really good. It does sound good. Yeah. I love Fort Collins. Yeah, me too. Great place. It really is. <laughs> well, let's transition a little bit into your story, Megan. Mm, can you yeah. tell us about early life? Where you? Where were you born? Yeah. So I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana. Go Colts. And lived there. Uh, well, just north of Indianapolis. A uh, itty-bitty little town called Whitestown. Like, you can barely find it on the map. That's where I grew up. And yeah, interest, interesting place. It's kind of Indianapolis is kind of sprawled out to that area now. So it's almost unrecognizable. But yeah, just we had one four way stop with a flashing light. And uh, that was my one horse town. Was that up. home for a long time? Until I was 15. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, that's where I lived. And then at 15, um, moved here. Oh. Okay. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have a bunch of brothers and sisters. So um, my parents actually divorced when I was seven, Mm -hmm. but I have a biological brother and a biological sister, and I'm the older of the three. Okay. And then dad remarried, and I gained two stepbrothers, and my dad and stepmom have been together since I was seven, so they've been a part of my life forever. Mm -hmm. And then well into adulthood, my mom and stepdad uh, more or less adopted two girls. So my youngest sibling is 21 years younger than me. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. Are you the oldest of all of them? No. So okay. my two stepbrothers are older. Yeah. yeah. And my oldest stepbrother actually passed away a couple years ago. So my older brother, Joey, is just seven months older than me. So yeah, going through middle school was oh, awesome. <laughs> it was it was a blast. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of person were you when you were a child? Well, I was, I was very much a rule follower. I was a protector, you know, my, our childhood, like our parents were kind of crazy and unreliable, I think is a fair way to put it. So whenever there was chaos or just uncertainty, I was definitely the one that kind of grabbed all the siblings together and hid in the (laughs) closet or whatever the case may be. I was also very active in the community, just always doing something selling poppies for the American Legion or, you know, helping out with the Easter egg hunts and all of that kind of stuff. So I was the one that the adults liked yeah. and trusted, but I was also a little bit of a secret rebel, like, you know, definitely the one that was smoking pot after church. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of adults just didn't realize that I was definitely seen as the, the good kid, mm-hmm. the smart kid, you know, the one that should go on Jeopardy. Yeah, <laughs> and the one that people challenged with big words like onomatopoeia. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah. When you were a kid, did you feel like you were anxious to become grown up, like you wanted to be an adult early, or were you content being a child? I don't think I was given an ample opportunity to be a child. Yeah, I definitely learned responsibility pretty young. 
So I don't think I had much to look forward to because I felt that I was already living that. Yeah. But I was also the one that, you know, at like parties and stuff, I was hanging out with the adults. Mm -hmm. There was one party in particular. My parents were bikers. Yeah. Fun little note. Harley uh, Davidson. Yeah. 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 Like sons of anarchy kind of stuff. And there was one party in particular where they had a beer truck and I was like, I don't know, kindergarten, first grade. And I was out there pouring beer, like made a lot of money, you know, in tips and stuff. But yeah, that's, that's kind of what I grew up with. Yeah. 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 I don't know where my siblings were that night. I hope they were okay. So there was some tumult. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. 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 My, my parents both were some sus- substance abusers, I, I think is a fair way to put it. Drugs, alcohol, whatnot. Yeah. And uh, when my parents divorced, when they separated when I was seven, and I don't think either of them were really in a place to take care of three small children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my dad actually took custody of my brother and sister and me and moved in with my grandma, who my grandma's like the person in my life, you know, and mm-hmm. She wanted me to be everything she couldn't be. So that meant like the first female president. And obviously I screwed that up. Yeah. But, well, um, there's still time. Yeah, come on. <laughs> well, I haven't told you the rest of my story. 2024. <laughs> there we go. But anyhow, yeah, my grandma was the one that really got me like involved in the community mm-hmm. and, and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, she was a huge person in my life. And even when my dad and my stepmom did get married, I stayed behind and lived with grandma for a few more years and like... I was definitely grandma's best friend. Wow. Did she live in? Whitestown. Yeah. There? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was like 500 people in the town back then and we were 10 of them. So what was that like moving away from her? That was the hardest part about moving. But I was also at a place where, you know, like I mentioned, my grandma wanted me to be everything that she wanted to be, but wasn't able to. And so I've definitely felt a lot of pressure, Mm -hmm. you know, like she, she, she is the person who pushed me to get the really great grades and, you know, to do all the things that you're supposed to do, be the good kid. So it was also kind of an escape from that. Yeah. It it was just a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. And, and I just wasn't living up to those standards and I didn't have the same desires necessarily, at least at that point I didn't. Now I more do than I did then. (laughs) Uh, When did Jesus become part of your story? Did you go to church when you were a young child or? Yeah. So it's kind of funny how that happened. You know, so like I said, I was seven when I moved in with grandma and grandma and I were clowns. We actually went to clown school. Yes. No. Nope. That's my nightmare. <laughs> but yeah, so we would dress as clowns and go yeah. and entertain different places. And uh, one of the places that we entertained was at Sunday school for the Whitestown United Methodist Church. Yeah. And it just so happens that probably one of two boys there is the one that I had a little bit of a crush on. So Megan became very active in the Whitestown United <laughs> Methodist Church. And the way that I like to describe it is that at that point, like Jesus and I were acquainted. You know, we weren't like friends per se. And then when I was 13, I went to a church camp in southern Indiana, which is like my favorite place in the whole wide world, Camp Indicoso. And that's where I explicitly heard the gospel for the very first time. And I was like, I need this because, you know, as much as I've been striving for perfection, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And um, my brother Joey was there with me and and both of us actually made a profession of faith there at that time. 
we definitely didn't have any kind of follow-up or real discipleship. You know, the church was great as far as community is concerned, but learning how to read the Bible and, you know, walk the walk mm-hmm. is something that came much later mm-hmm. in life. What do you think connected with you about the gospel at that time? I, like I said, I think the recognition that I'm not perfect yeah. and that I can't do it on my own, no matter how hard I try. Mm-hmm. And I'm a one on the Enneagram. So yeah. perfection's something that I can see as a huge theme throughout my entire life. Yeah. And yeah, I just recognized I am completely and utterly incapable of this. And, you know, Jesus isn't just some dude that came to be a mentor right. or something like that, but he actually came to save that which is lost. Mm-hmm. And I certainly was lost. So what did that do for the pressure that you felt? Like, I think you, it sounds like you had internal pressure mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. external pressure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, I don't think that it, it became real to me. Mm. It wasn't until just before my 30th birthday, actually, that it was like, oh, wait. Yeah. Jesus did this. So I don't have to remember <laughs> dummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's cool. That seed was planted so early. Yeah. You yeah. know, and then. Uh, it sounds, I mean, I would imagine that it got cultivated in different areas and then. Yeah, it was definitely a head knowledge thing. Yeah. But it, it didn't become, you know, really known and experienced in my heart and soul until much later. I think it's just a, a cool reminder. Like when we see people, anybody, we don't really know where they are in their story. You yeah, know? absolutely. So like like if, if you have people in your family or people in your life and you're like, I just, I don't know if they really understand the gospel or like maybe they're running wide, like very far away or very fast away, like that their story's not over and mm. they might have 40 years of, of the gospel germinating in their heart. And then yeah, it will make sense. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, Paul says to work out your own salvation. And I think right. that that's something that is never really over. Yeah. So you moved to Asheville when you were 15. I did. My mom got clean and sober and got custody of us at that time. Wow. And okay, so tell us what that was like to move and to be in the middle of teenage years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I it I don't remember it being scary to me at all and actually the first week I was here, my mom was already living here and was connected with a church in West Asheville and that first week she shipped my brother and me off to Beach Week <laughs> with the youth group from that church. And so I made friends on that trip that I remain friends with to this day. And so, so that made going into a new school, not nearly as scary, yeah. you know, I already knew some of the cool people. Yeah. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't as awful as you would typically hear. And plus I'm just like a curious person and I always want to see new places and faces and get to know people. So I think I was excited for that to just have a different experience than what I'd always had. Yeah. Uh, what was it like for your mom to become clean and sober? Because I know for me, it was a little bit of a different person. Yeah. So yeah. what was that experience like for you as a teenager? Yeah. Well, just to be perfectly clear, um, my mom was, I'd say, MIA for a lot of my childhood. And and I'll just say this, too. I I have very hard memories of my mom as a child, of her just like, making promises and not following through and just not being there and not knowing where she was. My mom has different memories of that time and I can't help what my memories are and whether they are true or not. And I think that's been the biggest 
problem in our relationship. And I don't think we have really a problem, but that, you know, my truth is different from, from mom's truth and they're both true, but it's just different perspectives on what happened. So I, I guess to answer your question, Hannah, I would just say that my mom became present yeah. in my life at that time. Like I never doubted that my mom loved me sure. ever, sure. you know, but it, it was actually in action at that time. And it wasn't just her loving me, but it was her loving her husband and her loving my siblings and her loving Jesus, you know, and that made all the difference in the world. What a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, my story, I can relate to that because that transition was challenging. I mean, even though I think every kid wants a parent who shows up and sticks with their promises, mm-hmm. you do still have a memory of something different. And so, yeah, yeah. and as a teenager, it's hard to let go of yeah. those things. Yeah. And I definitely, to this day, like, it's very hard for me to trust women in particular. I mean, my dad was consistent, still is consistent with his word, but I, I have a very hard time believing people and, you know, especially women. And I'm sorry, women. I'm sorry. I love y'all. But <laughs> I just have a hard time with that. And I don't like that about myself at all. And that's something I continue to work through. Mm-hmm. What were the next 10 to 15 years like in your life? Um, so, you know, I, that's when Jesus and I became friends, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> was about that time um, because I was immersed in the youth group and um, was very active there and was learning how to study the Bible and everything. And I'll say like, it looked like Jesus and I were getting pretty serious, but really that was just a perception. Um, We didn't really have a relationship. I was just kind of going through the motions. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, I I started working at McDonald's on Patton Avenue when everybody was still cruising Patton Avenue back in the day. (laughs) And so that took over my life basically was I was, I was working and I was going to school and I was doing extracurricular stuff at school. And so I didn't have time for church anymore Mm -hmm. or for Jesus. And yeah, so I guess you can say we kind of broke up when I was about 17 and like I was liked him and, you know, talked well of him and everything, but that's I love it. how much you're personifying your relationship, <laughs> bringing so much joy to my life. <laughs> I'm so I glad I can do that for you. <laughs> what were the extracurricular activities you were into? Well, this is probably going to shock you, but I was um, very involved in student council, student body secretary, senior year. I was part of like the Leo club and the Spanish club and like every club that applied to me. I What's think Leo club. Leo club is, is like the high school version of the lions club. Okay. And I don't remember anything that we did. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I, we took pictures for the year. Super formative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What high school did you go to? Irwin high school. Irwin. Yeah. We were the last class of the squaws. Go squaws. Yeah, go squaws. What are they now? Well, there's still just, I think it's the warriors and lady warriors. Now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's a squaw? Should I know that? It's like a term for an Indian lady. Oh. Well, the type yeah, of but Indian? apparently type in, of Native American. Apparently in Cherokee, it's um, Is it kind of derogatory. More the Samaritan woman than like oh. Lydia, oh. the seller of purple stuff. Interesting. I think they are the warriors. I'm driving oh. by. They're there. still the warriors for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I drive by there every day. So yeah, very cool. All right. So was there? Was it just the busyness that you and Jesus broke up, or was it you didn't care anymore, or? Yeah, there was definitely some apathy, but at that time, my senior year in high school, like I really started experiencing some, some severe depression. 
And, you know, Jesus just didn't save me from that. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, what's the use in continue to strive for that relationship if he's not going to help me in it? Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I strayed, you know, got a little bit more into, you know, smoking pot and sleeping around and drinking and, and all that stuff. And so my whole twenties, actually, let me, let me back up just a little bit at 21 year 2000 that summer. And I was still working a lot and was drinking a lot at that time and decided I was just done. Like I'm just done living this life. And so I took every pill in the house that I could find Hmm. and ended up freaking out a little bit and calling a good friend of mine and she came and got me and dragged me to the hospital. So I spent my requisite three days at Copestone down here at, it was St. Joseph's hospital back then. And then after that, I was like, okay, something's got to give, you know? So I decided to move back to Indiana Yeah. and things didn't get better there at all. You know, I, I tried, I tried everything, you know, getting, getting back into church. I tried briefly and I tried getting involved in the community once again and just doing all the things that you're supposed to do. Hello, Enneagram one. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't cutting it. And so I just like became very passive in living and very apathetic. And while I wasn't like actively trying to kill myself, I think I was pretty well trying to kill myself, (laughs) like Mm. drinking and driving every day. And I mean, when I say drinking, like drinking to drunk, not just buzz, but drinking to drunk and then getting behind the wheel and driving And by God's grace alone, I was never in an accident. I never got pulled over, you know, nothing ever came of that, you know, like I, I never got pregnant. It's just God's grace alone. Mm -hmm. There's there statistically it's, it's like nearly impossible for me to have survived my twenties in that. And so, yeah, at like 29, I was like, I was exhausted and I mean, I was successful at my job. I was working in the mortgage industry mm-hmm. and at 29. So it was uh, 2008 when the mortgage industry crashed and then work got a little bit different. One night I was out partying with my sister-in-law and God very clearly spoke to me and it was like undeniably the voice of God. And it wasn't audible, but because I had had a relationship with him previously, or at least the semblance of one, I knew it was his voice. And, and he said, go home. And I knew right away that that meant go back to North Carolina. And at that time, my mom was, um, my mom and stepdad were really active in a church out in Fairview. And I knew that she and her little small group of ladies had been really praying for me. And so I stayed up all night (laughs) that night and just kind of talked to God about it. And I was like, okay, I'll do this, you know? And so I waited until I thought my mom was awake and I called her and I said, Hey, I think God's telling me to come home. And she just like lost it, you know, (laughs) started bawling. Mm. And she's like, that's what we've been praying for, Mm. you know, just praying for you to come to your senses. So about a month later, I packed up my little crappy station wagon and hauled it down here. And yeah, I became immersed in the word and Jesus and I reconnected and yeah, we've been pretty legit ever since then. Wow. That's a powerful story. <laughs> it's, a, it's a scary story. It in is scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'll say like, as far as, um, depression is concerned, like I've tried diet and exercise. I've tried all the drugs. I've tried meditation. I've tried all different kinds of therapy and counseling and everything. And I've tried intense prayer and fasting. And I've tried 
you know, being anoint, you know, the mm-hmm. anointing oils and mm-hmm. hands and all that kind of stuff. And God has not chosen to, to heal me of depression. So it's, it's something that I still struggle with legitimately every yeah. day, yeah. every day. I have to make the choice against apathy and, um, you know, just choose to cling to that hope. You know, we know that, that hope isn't a certainty and that's kind of the definition of hope, right? But it's the, it's legit. The only thing I have is that hope. And, um, sometimes even to this day, Satan will use, um, the word against me, you know, and we know that he does that because he did it to Jesus in the desert. Right. And, uh, in our women's Bible study, we're going through Philippians and we just went through that part where Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that's the scripture that Satan uses against me. Mm-hmm. Like consistently it's like, why are you still striving? Why are you still here when you know that when you die, you're going to be with God in heaven? Mm-hmm. So I still have to have to remember that as long as I'm here, God is still using me Yeah. despite, um, the yearning to not be here. Yeah. Sure. It's a hard lie. It's a vicious lie. It is, yeah. It, it and is I have to lie. recognize yeah. it as a lie that, mm-hmm. you know, that's bastardizing scripture mm-hmm. and that's not, it's not of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Paul, when he talks about like the thorn in his side, that, mm-hmm. and we don't really have a super clear idea what that is, but right. like when God allows us to sit in things for a lot longer than we would wish, it's really hard to trust that he has our good and the good of his people in mind, but it is really important that we do. And I know that I'm thankful <laughs> for for your openness. And thank you. I think it, it. I think it's powerful because like it's not something that is that you're alone in. Like so many people face depression and chronic depression and seasonal depression mm-hmm. and. It's valuable to remember that like there is still hope and that God yeah. still has purposes for like, if you have breath, mm-hmm. God has purpose for you. Right. And that's, that's something else I cling to Peter is that God has been able to use me to minister to so many people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I will continue to do so as long as he allows me to do so, whether it's, you know, I, um, I used to do prison ministry. And so there were a number of girls that I was able to mentor through you know, how to deal with, mm-hmm. with these kind of mental health issues and helping loved ones of people with depression understand why they can't get out of bed, mm-hmm. you know? And so God has not only given me those experiences, but also the ability to articulate it and to help others through it. And so that's definitely the the huge redemption part <laughs> is that even though I have to go through this and it sucks and it's hard and um, it's ruined relationships. God is is using it for his glory and for the good of the church. And that, I think that's one thing that I love about this podcast is we have come into hard stories. But I, I mean, I have to believe and I know it's true that someone's out there listening mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, my gosh, she's telling my story. You know, yeah, you yeah. had those moments and for you to say there's hope. And, Absolutely. And yeah. I think. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you would also be like, talk to me. I'm happy oh, to talk absolutely. to you. absolutely. <laughs> yes. In fact, I would be offended if somebody, you know, could could use a little bit of encouragement or use just a listening ear and didn't come to me. Like, mm-hmm. I, and I say that in all earnestness, I would be offended mm-hmm. <laughs> if you feel that you need to talk to me and you don't. <laughs> yeah. The point that I think is valuable is like these things that we wish were different end up being like 
the jewel in our crown, like mm-hmm. the thing, the very thing that we would wish to change ends up being the thing that makes us effective, that makes our life meaningful. Yeah, beauty yeah. from ashes. Beauty from ashes, yeah. That God redeems even like the parts of us that we would we really wish were different. Right. Like, I mean he he, you know, brought the bones back to life. Yeah. And bones are pretty well dead. So very dead. You know, as long as <laughs> it's like the princess bride, very dead, heart dead, <laughs> mostly dead. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, those bones he brought back to life and, mm-hmm. and he can do the same with the dead areas in our lives for sure mm-hmm. for his glory and our good. Yeah. Do you have any current practices that you do um, or anything to help you get out of bed and help you function? Maybe I'm assuming too much, but I feel like that's what you were saying earlier is like it literally takes. So do you have? Yeah. Um, so probably the biggest thing that is helpful for me in that I actually learned from a secular therapist, um, psychologist, and that was just to, um, he, he actually taught me two practices, which, which help in that. Um, the first one being that he had me write down like the number one value and goal in my life, which for me was to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And then I have to consider all of my choices through that lens is, is doing this drawing me closer to attaining that value or is it pulling me further away? And so I, I try to see things through that lens. And then the second thing that he taught me is honoring my feelings. You know, if I'm sad or mad or whatever it might be, to allow myself to acknowledge that and experience it for a moment and then just kind of, thank you, brain. You know, we can we can move on from this now. Mm-hmm. And so... So that also conveys into recognizing what is a lie, what isn't a true feeling, and and then replacing it with with a truth. That's been huge. Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful advice. I think any, everyone could use that. Everybody will at some point go through a season or a long-term season where they go through some depression. Mm-hmm. Do you have specific advice for those people? It, um, immediately get help. And whether that means, you know, calling your mom or your best friend or going to the hospital, call me. I don't, I'll take you. I don't care, but just get help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And I'll also say in my personal experience, medication has been necessary. I'm on two prescription medications right now. I also take a bunch of supplements that help me. So my personal opinion is that medication is sometimes needed mm-hmm. and you know, maybe you need it for a season. Maybe you need it for the rest of your life. Like I probably will, but don't, don't be so proud mm. or afraid to be a burden to then to ask for help and be willing to get help. That's something else that I deal with a lot is just that feeling that I'm being a burden to someone. Mm-hmm. And so it's often difficult for me to ask for help, but that's something God's been teaching me a lot, especially over the last year is that it's okay to ask mm-hmm. for prayer, to ask for help. You know, you can't be everybody's everything mm-hmm. and um, even you need help sometimes. And he gave us each other to help each other. So yeah, if you're struggling man, even if you just need to talk to somebody, I, I will help you get through it. Yeah. And anybody that loves you will too. Thanks. Mm-hmm. It's really valuable. Do you find being around people helps you? Like, do you need yes. people? Okay. I do. And this whole quarantine could, I was about to ask that, yeah. yeah, it could have been detrimental well, to me sure. because I was a year ago, I was living by myself and 
through a series of events that I won't go into, I actually moved into my best friend's basement, um, her little mother-in-law suite down there. And so when COVID struck and everything shut down, I wasn't alone. And had I been alone, I, I probably would have spiraled into to a very, very, very dark place. But because I had her and her two-year-old son that I could just run upstairs and get a hug at any time, um, I think that God in his providence did that, knowing that we were going to need each other, especially during this time. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I was going to ask, I know we, didn't want, we don't want to talk a whole lot about COVID, but what that's been like, because I thought you needed people. I mean, I thought people were a huge part of it. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, without the church community, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today. And shout out to Hillary Penstrom. When I first started walking with the Lord, she kind of took me under her wing and and uh, discipled me. And you know, we walked through Tim Keller's Romans Bible study together, mm-hmm. and that was incredibly impactful in my walk. And she's just like, I don't know, Hillary's like the most Christ-like person I know, I think, and just so incredibly humble and caring and generous with, you know, her time and all of her resources. And yeah, that was, that was great. And, and I've had, I've had a lot of Hillary's in my life mm-hmm. and um, I'm so, so thankful, you know, because you need people to point you to Christ when you can't find the way to Christ. And um, yeah, so community's definitely been that for me. Sure. How did you meet Hillary? We met at church. We were both very involved in the singles ministry at another church. And um, I met Zach around the same time. That was before Zach and Hillary were Zach and Hillary, though. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun. How did you end up finding your way to Missio? That's a good question. So I, I was very involved in another church and... God actually released me from from involvement in that church. Um, I think it's a great church. You know, it's just, it, it was time for me to go. And so I attended an, another church in town for a while and just had a really, really hard time getting connected there. And it's kind of far from home. And so I was living with Christine Madonna at that time, yeah. who um, a lot of Missio people probably know. And we both just started praying about, God, where would you have us go and both of us, and I don't know that we'd ever even talked about Missio, but both of us had visited Missio in the past, and we both felt the Lord saying, check out Missio again. And so we did, and I've been here ever since. <laughs> yeah. Glad you're here. Yeah, thanks. Wh- what year was that? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. It's like four years ago, Okay, maybe. Yeah. I, I'm terrible with time. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it's always helpful for It's always helpful for me. To just kind of get that time, like, oh, you've, because I, I mean, Anthony, I didn't know that he had been here since the beginning. I had no yeah, idea I either. Didn't either, especially like for both you and I and you, Megan, like we have all not been here forever and yeah. ever. Like, yeah. I've been here five years, so I hadn't been here very long before you got here. Yeah. And as you plug in, you you kind of assume that everyone, that you're the newcomer. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's <laughs> easy to forget that like, oh, well, a lot of us are new newcomers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, so you've told us you're a one. Yes, I am a one. And I'm I'm also a high eight. Okay. So sometimes that comes out in me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know what that's like. <laughs> sure. I think she's kidding, Peter. Yeah, she is. Yeah. So can you, for the non-Enneagram fluent people, can you kind of delve into what that means in your life? Sure. So I'm a one with a two wing. So I am the reformer. 
I've been likened to Atticus Finch from Mm -hmm. To Kill a Mockingbird, which is one of the best books ever written. And um, so I'm a perfectionist. I struggle with resentment. Um, Shocker for my mom. Yeah, I I really tend to hold down my emotions. I'm pretty kind of steady. But it, it also means like I'm definitely a rule follower. But when I can't be that rule follower, I go to a four which is kind of introspective and depressed. Shocker. But when I'm doing well, that makes me a seven, Yeah. which is, you know, the good part of a seven, I'll say, which is, yeah. you know, fun and outgoing and all of that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. So being a one and you, you said you hold on to resentment and kind of mm-hmm. stuff feelings down, but you, al- you said you also have that eightness. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's, I mean, this could be wrong or unfair, but it sounds like it could explode at times. <laughs> the challenger side of you. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think I ever explode, okay. but there are times in, in which I'm not filtering. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say what, you know, I feel should be said. And sometimes that's going to trample some feelings mm-hmm. and step on some toes, which is really great working in ministry. So. Yeah. <laughs> So how do you what how do you deal with those feelings if you're if you are a a suppressor a bottler. And cannot form sentences today? Yeah. <laughs> so I deal with those suppressed feelings in two ways. One being legitimate friendships, you know, um, and people who who intentionally ask me questions to draw out what those are. And I'm I'm so very blessed to have a few of those people in my life. And um, another way being therapy. I see a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and I think everybody should attend <laughs> therapy at least at some point in their yeah. lives. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And so that's been um, really, really helpful. They they know how to draw it out of you. What do you, What about your personality enables you to be effective in in what you do? And we can get into your job okay, a little bit sure. as well. So the question is, what what about my personality makes me good at my job? Yeah, I'm director of operations at Evangelism Explosion. And okay. so let me say that um, my thoughts expressed hereby are not necessarily those uh, as represented by my employer. But yeah, I, I love what I do. I feel that my my gifts and talents are used in that position. So basically, it means that I put out fires and I try to prevent fires and I try to make sure that we are in legal compliance, you know, especially where um, human resources is concerned. So being a rule follower, that makes it easy for me to interpret mm-hmm. the laws and, you know, find the best way to apply those laws. And being a, a one, I guess, makes it easy for me to see problems yeah. And be able to fix those problems efficiently and also prevent them in the future. Mm-hmm. So right now my focus is on writing a lot of policies. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we need people like you. I, you Absolutely. cannot imagine how bad I would be at your job. I would be fired right. near immediately. Uh, and and Peter, I would be awful at your job. So th- that's the body of Christ, right? Yeah. <laughs> So this week, y'all are going to switch jobs. <laughs> it's like Freaky Friday. <laughs> don't you, um, I could be wrong about this, so we can cut it out, but don't you plan trips and stuff for y'all? No? Um, I don't necessarily. I help with some events, like I thought, banquets and um, 
Yeah, our Congress of Nations, which is every three years. Is that when you went to Albania? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you do that. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. that's an event. It's it's a huge event. Okay. I just don't know much about EE. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not what we do. That's um, more organizational, like just for us. But what EE actually does is uh, we partner with churches all across the globe to train uh, pastors and lay people how to share their faith and then how to multiply witnesses. So you don't just learn how to share your faith, but you learn how to train others to share their faith as well. Very cool. Yeah. Is there a word, a, a name for that? Do y'all have a name for that? Evangelism explosion. Oh, well, I, I just <laughs> meant that like uh, model. Uh, it's multiplication. Okay. Yeah. That's there's what there used to, we can cut all this out. There used to be a popular one that people did. That was like, you train, if you train one person, they train two. You know, like a yeah. tree, but there was a name for exponential. It. Well, I mean, I know that there's like a mathematical word, but <laughs> <it's> like, uh, <laughs> she looked at me like you're a huge nerd. <laughs> <laughs> also a math guy. <laughs> um, HR is hard business, man. I mean, you got to be you got to know your stuff. I am very good at delivering bad news. Yeah. And God gifted me. I really that way. believe that. Yeah. Yeah. If you have to hear bad news, you want to hear it from me. Yeah. So what does the future hold for you? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I and and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um my a, a huge part of my focus is obviously my career. So I guess I should probably finish my degree. I was going to say aren't you in school? Um I'm not currently. Okay. I did uh, just wrap up a finance class, but um yeah, otherwise I'm not this semester. Yeah. I don't I, I've been kind of like I don't know. Is it worth it? Like I already have yeah. a job I like, Yeah. but I guess I have to, you know, for my future think that if something happens to the ministry or if I, you know, in some way lose my job, I should probably have a degree so I can work elsewhere. Yeah. What are you getting your degree in? Um, so it was a, a business degree with a focus on human resources. Excellent. How much longer do you have? Too daggone long. <laughs> I like thought you were going to say two Dagon semesters. <laughs> no, I think um, at the rate I've been going, about two years. Okay. Yeah. That's not bad. Blink of an eye. Blink of an eye. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If I have another 30 years or so to work, then yeah. I guess it's worth it. You guys just talked me into going back to college. What is your most favorite attribute of Christ? My favorite attribute of Christ, um, I think the one that I've been most focused on here recently is compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because I compassion and like genuine love for others is something that um, God has definitely had to do in me. It's not something that comes naturally. So, you know, just reading, I've been spending a whole lot of time in the gospels over the last year and just seeing how often it says look at them with compassion or something along those lines. And, you know, like as Brian's preaching through Ephesians and the ladies are studying Philippians, you know, you just see so much about unity and in order for there to be unity in the church, there has to be compassion. There has to. And so that's something I've struggled with a lot. And so that's where where Jesus is definitely like completing me. Okay, it's time for a little thing called the lightning round. The lightning round. The lightning round. Um, what's your worst car ever? Worst car ever. Um, I had when I was a senior in high school, I had a 76 Buick Century. And it looked like the car from the Alanis Morissette ironic video. So everybody at school called it Alanis, <laughs> but I could fit like eight people in that car. Is it, it one of those beast. that's like 
the car start driving past and like a minute later it's still driving past because it's so long. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> definitely like a hoopty for sure. Nice. And it had like the vinyl top on it. And I remember one time I was coming home from school and the vinyl top like ripped off and just started like thwacking against the roof of the car. <laughs> and it scared me to death. I thought I'd been shot, but yeah, it got me to where I needed to go. So that's awesome. <laughs> What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Best vacation? Um, I guess it was about two years ago when my youngest sister, Destiny, and I went on a cruise. It was the first time I'd been on a cruise and um, actually her first real vacation. So that was super awesome. Um, You know, to see her kind of bloom, if you will, because she's kind of shy and um, really struggles with anxiety. And so to see her be okay with swimming with the manatees and stuff, that was it was really cool to be able to be the person to walk with her through that. Yeah. Where did you go? On uh, cruise? Yeah. So we left Miami and we went to Key West and Cozumel. I think it was like, it was a short one, but it was an appropriate amount of time for the two of us to share a small room. Yeah. <laughs> Never done one of those. When do you feel most relaxed? On a boat. On a boat. I love being on a boat, on a lake. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's just so chill for me. I love it. I'm with you until I have kids. <laughs> so, so lake or beach, you would go lake. Oh, I'm definitely a lake person. I don't, I, I mean, I'll go to the beach like once a year or something. Um, just cause I like to go different places and, um, yeah, but sand gets everywhere and it drives me nuts. I'm a little OCD. So the sand and I don't do real well together. Igenie gives you three wishes. What are they? If I have three wishes, don't say more wishes. Yeah, no, that's cheating. It's cheating. um, One, I shouldn't even ask. One would never. One would never ask for more wishes. I would want to be physically and mentally healthy. Yeah. And then I would want a lot of money so that I can do a lot of good for people. That's really nice. And I guess the third one would be for my dad to know Jesus if a genie can do that. Yeah. Yeah. What's the first thing you look for in a friend? I don't think I've ever looked for a friend. Like it just happens naturally. What do you appreciate most in a friend? Oh man, what do I appreciate most in a friend? Um, integrity is huge to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I don't trust your word, then it's just not going to happen. Like, yeah. Well. What's the title of your movie? So I had a blog one time. Really? It was kind of short lived, but um, the name of my blog was um, "The Recovering Rogue." Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Very so. alliterative. Yeah, right. And it's like my Baptist in me. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think that fits me well. Love it. Starring Janine Garofalo as Megan. Coming to theater soon. Do you have a difference between your public versus private listening music, listening choices? Um, I don't think that I do. I, I've really appreciated you guys asking that question on other podcasts, but I think that I'm kind of what you see is what you get when it comes to my music. What are you listening to? Um, so right now I'm obsessed with Brent Cobb, who it seems like nobody knows who he is, but he's kind you of this, count that count me and everybody. I, I, well, I, I know that about you, yeah. Peter. Um, <laughs> he's kind of like a, a really Southern rock country-ish Americana. Uh-huh. And he was actually the last show I saw before the quarantine oh, wow. um, at the Great Eagle. But he just dropped a new album on Friday and it's super good. So check out some Brent Cobb. Keep them on their toes. Okay. okay. Is he Sturgill Simpson-esque? Um, ish. I would liken him more to Tyler Childers okay. than Sturgill, okay. who I also saw earlier yeah. this year. That yeah. was great. I'm also 
really, really liking um, the new Need to Breathe. I've always been a Need to Breathe fan, but their new album is just... They have just, a new album? They do. And it's like more blatantly gospel-y than any of their previous stuff, um, which I'm really appreciating. I actually even kind of like the song that Bear Reinhardt did with Chris Tomlin. Peter one time tricked me and told me Nickelback was his favorite artist. <laughs> do you remember that? No. Sounds like something I would do, though. Yes. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I'm like, all right, you do you, man. Where other people are like, ah, oh my. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's what I like. Pet peeves. Oh, pet peeves. Um, just being a jerk. Mm. Um, I think being mean, you know, is just disgusting. Mm-hmm. Mm. Also, jaywalking. Oh, wait, what? Tell me more. <laughs> so, That's a one thing. Follow the rules, people. Yeah, yeah. So jaywalking, um, I refuse to do it for the most part. I think there's pretty much never a good valid reason to jaywalk. Yeah. <laughs> You're very German. Wow. Am I? <laughs> yeah, the Germans, they, there's no one jaywalks. They're like, why would I jaywalk? It is verboten. It is a rule. That is so funny. My sister got a ticket one time for jaywalking. She should have. Good. <laughs> there's laws. I should I should have gotten a lot of tickets by now. <laughs> there are reasons for the law, Hannah. I know. Well, we're so thankful to have you on and yeah, thankful for, for you me. sharing your story. I'm glad to. I hope that it helps in some way somebody oh, out there. Will. It yeah. Will. Now the congregation knows a little bit about Megan Lindley. Yeah. A little hey. bit more that they didn't know before. That's right. I'm I'm like an onion. I mean, y'all have questions. I'll tell more. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Hey, thanks for hanging with us. This has been the Vox Pop. We believe that everyone has a story worth telling. This podcast exists to tell those stories. If you want to be a guest on the Vox Pop, email voxpop at mdcashville.org. That's V-O-X-P-O-P at mdcashville.org. Thanks for listening.